0: suit me up coach i'm ready to go in welcome to the mainline podcast i am adam jacquez we've got the full crew back in full force it feels like uh it's been a little while but really just a couple weeks since all of us were here in house we are really close to football starting you know ball camp has started i've dusted off the old xbox 360 and ncaa 14 is is in the disc tray so you know it's uh it's coming up right here but uh tyler and corbin with us as always guys how are we doing have you updated the rosters adam at least so it's last year's (laughs) rosters uh at least i haven't put on this year's rosters though fair enough
1: fair enough i respect that i can't complain guys doing great uh got the what is the game? Field of Dreams game on the background right now. Uh, Tyler and I were talking about beforehand for an organization like the MLB to mess up as often as they do to try to ruin this sport of baseball. They did this one right. It's been a pretty cool event to watch so far. But Tyler, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. Yeah, not too often the Major League Baseball gets something right, but just watching that production Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner on the mound, they they knocked it out of the park for you know, no pun intended. But no, doing extremely well um it finally feels like football season we've got practice underway each and every day starting to see some footage some photos that are coming out of camp and we are 22 days 16 hours and 22 minutes from this moment right now from kickoff so uh, a lot of excitement and just ready for college football but guys we got to start out we didn't have this as part of the script for tonight but obviously in today's world there's always breaking news and we had kind of a big one uh break just a short while ago about a half hour ago pete Thammel. um Tweeted out just a second ago, spoke to Tulane Athletic Director Troy Dannon. He tells Yahoo Sports Tulane will be requiring vaccinations or a negative PCR test for everyone 12 and up within 72 hours to attend athletic events. This is in accordance with mayoral order for events of more than 500 people and all indoor events. So OU opening up in New Orleans in three, three weeks from, from, uh, this upcoming Saturday against Tulane. So OU fans traveling down there, this is going to impact things in, in quite a big way. So guys, just early thoughts on that and, you know, just kind of, you know, what, what this could ultimately lead to.
0: It's just, I just want to be left alone. Really. Um, it's the one thing that like, I don't want to talk about in general, but at the same time, I have tons of thoughts um on this and it's frustrating that here we are a year later and this is still such a major issue um i want it to go away so bad so that we can focus on football and not have to be thinking about you know walking to the stadium you know am i going to need a mask am i going to need a vaccine whatever whatever i don't want it to be something that's a part of the season i want it to be just about football you know i don't want guys sitting out um from positive tests i don't want games forfeited. I don't want any of that. I just want a normal season. Um, so it's frustrating. I was really hopeful. You know, I told you guys earlier that, you know, as long as no one else does this, um, you know, I'll feel really good. Tulane's the first one that's starting to do this. Um, and the closer and closer this creeps to power five blue bloods, the worse I'll feel. Um, I hope it doesn't come to OU though.
1: You would have to think that decision was discussed with the leadership at OU. I don't think you, if you're too lame, you don't at least bring that to the attention of a Josie with that type of brand coming to town. So I'm curious what those conversations were like. And then, yeah, as you said, Adam, does does OU follow suit? Um, if the dominoes start to fall, what does that look like? How do you possibly do that in a full 85, 87,000 seat stadium? I, I don't know. Um, and guys, we're not blind to it, right? Like, do we really trust CSC to be checking paperwork as you're walking into the stadium? So that, I'm not, I'm not yeah. no offense, but like, no. And to be frank, I've seen like the the vaccine cards and everything and like, I can whip that up on a PDF and create it like this. So I don't understand. I'm I'm with you, Adam. I think part of it for me is just like, I'm not asking for anybody else to look out for me right like i'm not asking for anybody to get the vaccine for my sake i'm not asking for anybody to not get the vaccine for my sake like just let me do me and let the dominoes you know fall how they're supposed to but i have no idea i get two lanes smaller and maybe it's a little more manageable to control but i have no idea how stadiums like OU and guys think around the country there are stadiums that are 20-25,000 people larger than OU how you possibly try to implement that that's the part I just I really don't know
2: well you bring up a good point about was OU you know part of the decision making process when Uh, were they you know in contact with Tulane's athletic director and were kind of you know walked hand in hand through this whole process part of me I'm not entirely sure how much that went into effect because it kind of seems to me like Tulane's athletic department their hand was forced based on the decision of the New Orleans mayor so I get it in that sense now I'll be traveling down to New Orleans and obviously like I'll, you know there will be fans in attendance that you know are vaccinated. There will be some that aren't. I think that you're going to see a lot more people that are going to be taking a, a COVID test on Thursday just to get that negative test back so that they can travel down there. But no, it's um, I'm not super thrilled. The fact that I'm going to have to wear a mask at 1 o'clock in the afternoon in New Orleans when it's going to be 110 degrees because Tulane did put that statement out just a short while ago. So that is going to be required. But no, just thinking about the impact that this is going to have Across college football, yes, Tulane, this stadium only holds 38,000 fans. Yes, they are a private institution. Is this something that's going to impact, you know, the bigger schools in FBS, in the Power Five program? And guys, we were talking before coming on here about the fact that OU hasn't sent out their season tickets quite yet. Does this now put pressure on Joe C? Does this now put pressure on, you know, the state of Oklahoma, the community of Norman? To college football programs, do they have to seriously take a look at limiting capacity? Whether it's, you know, reducing the amount of people that are coming to games, is it requiring proof of vaccination or requiring proof of a negative COVID test seventy two hours out? I don't know where, I don't know what direction that we're going in right now. But I don't feel I don't feel near as good as I did twenty four hours ago uh, about the start of college football season. Yes, we are going to play, but in terms of the overall atmosphere and the fan experience. I don't like the direction that we're heading in right now.
0: Well, it's a lot easier, you know, to just stay the course and stay what you are. It's when you implement a change in a current status that makes people upset, whether that's, you know, keep full capacity or change to half capacity or go back up to full capacity. You know, whatever the status quo is, whenever you change that, that's when people are going to start complaining and be upset. And I don't think that, you know, and we haven't seen any private business out there Regardless of what it is that suddenly is, uh, you know, clamoring to have less people in their business, things like that, and that's because at the end of the day, the almighty dollar is still what rules. So I don't think that OU is going to voluntarily decide, hey, we're just gonna, you know, either reduce capacity or even make it significantly harder uh, for people to show up because once you start putting in restrictions there, as far as maybe a vaccine requirement or uh, wearing masks or something like that, then people start asking for refunds. That doesn't hurt a program like Tulane uh, very much because they're not as big of a fan base. They're not making as much money off of tickets and donations at OU. That does hurt uh, quite a bit. So I don't see OU doing anything unless there are local Uh, you know, guidelines behind that. I think that's going to be very hard to implement at this point in a state like Oklahoma.
2: It wouldn't surprise me at this point right now, if the leadership in the city of Norman right now, we all know about the mayor, what side of the aisle that that falls on. So it wouldn't surprise me at this point right now, but you almost have to wonder since we went through this all of last year in a limited capacity, the university lost a ton of money compared to years past by not having full capacity, being able to charge the full amount for season tickets and donations. Is this something to where OU Athletics and the University would have the final say because there is so much money that, that's at stake right now? So I'm very curious to see where it's going to go. And like I said, we're, we're about four weeks away from the home opener and there's a lot of time for, for things to change.
1: I'm I'm curious to see how all this plays out because I'm, I'm coming in town for the Nebraska game. I'm getting there on a Wednesday. That means if this same thing happened – in Norman I'd be required to to get tested or have the vaccine if it was required for me to get tested then I would have to test in Oklahoma I don't know like if my insurance would cover that since I'm not in my home state and you know I'm not the only one traveling in from out of state that's going to be getting to Norman early for that type of a matchup what like that's all great and dandy that you need to test but like Where's the test need to come from? Is it required that it needs to be in state? Do you have to test in Louisiana for it to be valid? I don't know the the ins and outs of that. I don't think so, but I can see like if a state's really having that bad and you're traveling from out of state in, I can absolutely see them putting in mandates where the test has to be taken inside the state that it's in. And God, just talk about a nightmare. I just I I think everybody. Everybody did what they had to do last year. You didn't hear a whole lot of complaints as far as limited capacity because everybody was doing it and everybody got behind it. If you make a change like this at a brand like University of Oklahoma or Tennessee or Alabama or any of the big name programs, people will not just be sitting by and being good with this again. They won't. And you're going to have some major, major issues with some unhappy donors and unhappy fans if three weeks before kickoff we shrink back to capacity, or if you start requiring stuff, guys, I just don't see it going very well.
2: You make a really good point, Corbin. And talking about the testing sites, like does it have to be done in the state in which the game is played? Just thinking about the the game at Tulane in the State of Louisiana. One of the guys that's going with me, he's not vaccinated. So is that something where he has he's going to be he's going to take a COVID test the Thursday before that we're going to leave? But is that going to be? acceptable whenever you arrive on campus at Tulane, or is it going to have to be a situation where you have to be tested in the state in which the uh, athletic event is being played? So I think that uh, we're just barely peeling back the the, the curtain on on this right here. And it's, it's, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. There's going to be a lot of changes between now and then. And I just hope that for our sake um, and for the sake of Oklahoma fans uh, nationwide and especially ones are going to be in attendance for uh, one, if not all the games this year, um, that all 85,000 fans are, are going to be able to attend and make that choice for themselves on on whether or not they want to get vaccinated or get the test, wear a mask, so on and so forth. But um, a lot of money at stake, Adam. You make a really good point on that.
1: If you guys were to put a percentage on it right now, I, I think we're too far gone to, to go back to capacity restrictions. I don't think we're too far gone to put something like this into place. So let's say percentage-wise, if you were to say as of right now, obviously – things have been changing week to week over the summer, but as right now, the percentage chance that you think the University of Oklahoma will put vaccine mandates or covid negative mandates within between, between 72 hours of the game in place, what percentage are you putting on that happening? 40. Really? That high.
2: I think so, because I think I think it's so much bigger than football. There's going to be so many people, uh, you know, higher up in the food chain that are going to be making these decisions like it it doesn't just start and end with joe c and president harris like this is going to go all the way up in my opinion to the you know governor stitt governor of oklahoma i think it goes all the way up to the white house i mean it's kind of crazy to think about but i think that there's political pressure from the very top and it's going to sprinkle its way down and i i think 40 percent right now and that's probably putting it putting it lightly
1: I'm, I'm almost saying if it gets as high as Stit, that actually decreases those chances. <laughs> yeah, but not putting in a mandate. Yeah, but Stitt, Stitt, uh there was some breaking news
2: that came out about an hour ago that, you know, Stit came out with this thing basically saying that we're not going to require, um, like, the state of Oklahoma, you know, public education, students, faculty, staff, if you're not going to have to wear a mask. Now the Oklahoma City public schools, their board just voted about an hour ago that they're going to defy the the rule and uh, you know the executive order whatever it was that sit signed and they are going to require all of their teachers and students to wear masks while on campus there so again I'm not I I don't think it's as simple as what's Joe C and President Harris going to do I think it goes a lot higher than that and that's what's scary because you know if it were up to Joe C we'd have 85,000 fans I don't think we'd have a I don't think we'd have a vaccination requirement uh, in order to come to the game so it'll be serious Adam did you have something I mean, I think you guys
0: are making the case for, you know, we have no idea how this is going to go, who's going to make decisions, <laughs> what it's going to be. Um, my hope is that a week from now, we're in the, at least in the same position where nothing's changed. Um, I would like to be able to just go have a normal football game, a <laughs> normal football season. So I think it's way too early for me to go as high as 40%. I'd put it more in like the, you know, 10% uh,
2: neighborhood there. But, yeah, there's just really no way of knowing. I thought it was an interesting point that the scoop crew brought up on the U40 yesterday when they were talking about vaccination requirements and how you can require the fans to be vaccinated in order to attend, yet there's going to be potentially coaches and players that are actually participating in the game that are not vaccinated. So it's – I mean, it's kind of a – you know. Suit me a, up, coach. I'm ready to go in.
1: <laughs> I feel <laughs> like if we were headed towards – vaccination requirements and or capacity restrictions, the messaging from the social media accounts from OU football wouldn't be what they're saying currently. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would have been pulled back a tad. So I think even just today it they, was, yeah, it was they, about
2: 10 to yeah. 15 minutes after Tulane posted that OU athletics sent out a tweet basically saying we're very excited to to see all 85,000 fans of you in attendance. So
1: yeah, I feel like that messaging would have at least been put on pause if those conversations, not maybe I'm wrong, but it it just doesn't feel like oh you'd be putting out all this stuff. Uh, they had a video earlier this week. I think it was Jeremiah Hall and a couple others. They were talking about the atmosphere and can't wait for the house to be full. And I don't think you can put. I don't think you can post those things within a month of the game, and then drop something like this. I just I just don't see it. But again, last right. week we didn't think this was a possibility.
2: And I know that the COVID cases are kind of running rampant and they're increasing in the state of Louisiana, but I'm very surprised that Tulane made this decision because I think it's probably safe to say that probably close to half of that stadium in three weeks is going to be in Crimson. I mean, I know that it only holds 38,000, but I know that with the away games for this upcoming season not being you know, a true marquee game like going to Nebraska, Tulane was kind of that bucket list one with it being – you know, uh, a long weekend with it being a, a destination like New Orleans. So um, very, very curious, you know, the decision-making behind that. And it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch. I'll...
1: I'm will i curious now, because I know there was a good chunk just reading over message boards and stuff that had ordered season tickets through Tulane for just this game. They yep. were OU fans at the bottom. Looking kind of reverse psychology, is it strange that the tickets were already sent out Before this happened, because I can't help but to wonder if this came out before season tickets were actually released, what that potentially could have done to some of those season ticket sales. Just I have nothing to back that up, nothing to prove, just just kind of interesting.
0: I mean, I think you're you're right on track there. Uh, I'm sure that was into the decision making because. Tulane probably hit record number of season ticket sales this year, simply because OU was playing in town and yep. um, I'm sure they didn't want to sacrifice that, which I think goes back to the original point that I made was you Money. know, the, the almighty yep. dollar rules. And I think that's something that OU does not want to go through for another season. Uh, so mm-hmm. whatever they can do to keep people happy, I think they can, you know, pair the right talking points while still allowing everybody to come in unmask unvaccinated as much as they want and say, Hey, Please be safe. Please, you know, get vaccinated still. Um, But behind the scenes
2: they are knowing, hey, we just want our money. That's all we really care about. I'm sure it would take some time to kind of put some numbers together and figure it out. But I bet if we went back last season based on attendance numbers, based on what we know about donation costs, season ticket costs, things like that, we could probably figure out how much money OU lost in terms of, you know, just ticket revenue. You know, basically – Go ahead and exclude all like concession stands, beers, things like that, but just in season ticket and donation money, they're not I I, it's so hard for me to think that they would they would just fold over and do everything that they can not to let that happen again this year. There's too much money tied up into it. And you've got when you've got a very passionate fan base like you do at Oklahoma, you've got to take a lot of that into consideration, even though it's it's kind of a crazy time that we're living in right
1: now. That's that's, that filters into this year too, though, because you know, season ticket holders had the option to basically just not pay this season right. and keep, let OU keep their payment. I would have, if I was season ticket, that's what I would have done. Just keep it. I'll come back next year, and this is all basically free. Yeah, just pay but it like, forward. They're still paying last year off, and they're going to be paying last year off potentially until you get into the SEC and make up that money. Just to be frank. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So there's a Let's lot of, football. yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of angles to talk about that, and we
0: could probably go all night there. So hopefully, we are not talking very much about that in the future, but uh, we do need to talk football because fall camp has started. And I think all eyes are really focused on the offensive line position. It's what we've talked about is probably the one question mark potential weakness. Although Phil Steele, I think, has the O line as his top ranked unit in the country. Uh, which is kind of a head-scratcher for most of us OU fans. We're not really sure what uh, what to expect there. But, uh, Corbin, what are you seeing as far as uh, you know updates you've heard and expectations for this offensive line?
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to put into uh, place what Bow is just saying on coach speak versus what's actually happening on the field. Um, and I don't think we'll really know until you know we walk out for the two-lane game and you actually see what the starting lineup looks like. And then, as we all know, what's that look like by Texas, right? That's always kind of the tried and true by Texas, that line. With the, I think with the exclusion of last year, which for obvious reasons wasn't quite the same, um, You know, that's when that line always seems to kind of have found its footprint. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious to, to kind of see what takes place there. I'm trying to go back through some of uh, Beanbo's notes about, let's see, he said today that, or I guess this would have been, what, Tuesdays when he had yeah. his media session? Yeah, uh, Tuesday. Um, said Harrison was, was always a tackle. Um, beaten bow mentioned that Robinson was playing guard and tackle right tackle when he's, uh, out there on the line. And then Harrison, Wanye Morris and bird are all competing at the left tackle spot. Now we're missing a name there that has been very popular, um, you know, over the past few years. And that's Eric Swenson. And where does he fit into all this? Um, but guys, I mean, if you're mentioning three different guys fighting for a tackle spot three weeks before kickoff, how much do you know about this line, and how much do you not, and how much is just coach talking up the players and giving nothing really of importance? So, it, long story short, I have no idea what this line's going to look like here in yeah. three weeks.
2: It was very surprising for me. I mean, I feel like we all know we've been, you know, we've we've been fans. We've all, you know, seen and heard Lincoln, Beanbo, and Grinch talk enough to where. Every time Lincoln's in front of the podium, I feel like you're gonna get you're gonna get coach speak. You're gonna get very vanilla, very Nick Saban-esque. You know, this is what we've got, this is what we're building towards. And then when you hear from Coach Grinch and Coach Beanbow, you kind of feel like, you know, you're not getting bullshitted whenever you hear from them. You know, they're gonna tell you how it is. And that's why it was so surprising in a good way for me. It was kind of shocking at how positive Bill Beanbow was and how happy he was at the podium when talking about his offensive line. And he he even made the comment that he hasn't felt this good about an offensive line group since going all the way back to 2018, a group that won the Joe Moore, the Joe Moore award. So the fact that we're going into this season where the offensive line is kind of the number one concern and talking about, does this team have a chance to win a national championship? And then there was just so many things that Bill kind of laid out. And then it comes out that, you know, Wanda Morris, it looks like he's eligible. He's going to be ready to go for the season. And when talking about different position groups and who's playing at tackle, who's at the different guards and stuff, it was – I did not expect Beanbow basically to say that Harrison and Wanye Morris were both taking reps at left tackle when, I mean, I know that me personally and probably a lot of OU fans out there were expecting those to be your two starting tackles, one on one side, one on the other. So there's a lot of position battles, but the fact that Wanye Morris is eligible – has to make you feel really good about this offensive line because it does give you, you know, probably one of your two best offensive linemen outside of Marquise Hayes and maybe Anton Harrison. So if you're an OU fan, that's music to your ears. Having him eligible, having him ready to go, and then my last thing on it was, it's a, the, Lincoln might talk about how we're rotating guys in at center, but if you listen to Bill, I think Andrew Rame. You can sharpie him in as your starting center. I haven't heard him talk about a recruit. Uh, a, you know, a player at his position on the offensive line, basically all the way back since like the Bobby Evans, the Cody Fords, the, uh, you know, the Ben Powers, the Orlando Browns. So very high on Andrew Rehm, a lot of comparisons to Creed in his eyes. So it's, I'm trying to tamper expectations, but I'm not as worried right now about the offensive line going into the season as I was probably, you know, a month or so ago. If you look back
0: throughout Bill uh tenure here at OU, uh, Spencer Rattler really is his least mobile quarterback. Um, you know, Trevor Knight, Blake Bell, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, Kyler, and now Spencer Rattler, who's the closest thing we've had to a pocket passing, you know, quarterback since probably Landry Jones. He, he can move a little bit, but he looks pretty slow <laughs> compared to most of those guys. So I think, you know, this is his, uh, this is beanbow's hardest job really, is to be able to protect Radler um, and then also at the same time, you know, create some running holes uh, for the running backs when the quarterback is not nearly the threat of a runner as they happen in the past. So um, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, his job is on the line necessarily, but I think there's more pressure, um, especially after the way things were last year and a little bit uneven. Uh, the optimistic way to look at it really though, is that, Hey, we have a normal off season, having a normal training camp Um, you know there shouldn't be and we haven't heard of any guys being held out for any reasons at this point Um, hopefully that you know won't be the case going forward so you'd like to think that we can get some regular reps and everything Um, but I'd I'd really like to know that some guys are are settling into some areas and not all this rotation around from guard to tackle like very different positions you know Uh, I would just like to see some some guys settle in there
1: yeah I think one positive that maybe gives me a little more peace of mind is they're going up against every single day one of the best defensive lines in the country, um, so at least even if it's not you know full bulletproof come two lane time, at least we're going to know they're they're going to be battle tested by going up against that defensive line every day in practice.
2: Right, and again we're four or I guess we're six practices into this right now. There's another seventeen or eighteen to go. The offensive line. The rotation, it's going to change a lot. The starting five is probably going to look a little different once Tulane gets here than what's being trotted out in practice right now. But I don't think you can say enough how huge of an impact it is having Wandy Morris uh, available. The fact that you're going to have so much more depth and so much more rotational guys that you can bring in. I think that by Texas time, you're probably going to see Harrison and Wandy Morris both on the field at the same time. Once you get into the Big 12 play, once competition ramps up, you've got to get your best five offensive linemen out there. So if you're telling me that I can have Harrison on one side, Morris on the other, this also frees up the ability. If Andrew Rame is your center, you've got Marquise Hayes penciled in right there at left guard. And then you're telling me that at the right guard position, you're going to give me the the choice between Chris Murray or Tyrese Robinson. One of those two guys can play uh, can play the other tackle along with Eric Swenson in case you get in a bind or an injury you know, pops up. Um it's it's a it's a very good time right now for offensive offensive line and it gets me very excited seeing how positive bill beanbo is at this time right at this time of the year because can't really say that's been the case in the last 3 to 4 seasons yeah i mean it is all talk at this point
0: um corbin you kind of alluded to it a second ago but the other side of the ball the defensive line is I think there's a lot of excitement. And it's not just talk. It's we've seen production. We saw them wreak havoc last year. And even some guys that are coming back from 2019, like Jalen Redman and LaRon Stokes, we saw them do some really great things in 2019. Um, and I, I was kind of racking my brain a few days ago about, are there any defenders that I would bring back from you know 2016 to 2019 or so You know, back onto this team and um, one guy that kind of came to mind was Obo Okoronkwo, who's you know playing for the Rams right now. Very good guy. And I'm just like, man, this defensive line is so deep right now that, like, yeah, he'd be a good player, but he'd almost, and I don't, I don't want to detract from him or hype up our team too much, but he'd almost just be another guy um, in the depth that we have. It's just really impressive what what Calvin has put together here.
1: That's a good problem to have. You start thinking of a guy like Obo and just kind of thinking like he could be, you know a good player, but not how we viewed him that season, right? I mean, we viewed him that season as almost in that Eric Stryker mold of like, he's the only guy that's going to do anything on that defensive line. You know, any guy that's going to get pressure, it's Oboe or it's nobody. And so, yeah, guys, we've come a long way and it's been interesting to watch, not just necessarily the, the local media and people who have covered OU football, but on the national media side of things. That's the one of the first things that always comes out of anybody's mouth on a national scale is like the days of OU's defense getting pushed around is different because of those guys up front in the trenches. Um, And so even on a national scale, which certainly should help with, you know, recruiting moving forward, there's a stigma now about OU that um, times have changed. This defense has changed. This is a big time defense and guys got to go out there and prove it. Now you can't have A game or two a year, like we're used to, where the defense just disappears, can't have it anymore. They're too good for that
2: you can just looking at the pictures OU football and outlets like scoop and two, four, seven, you can just see the difference in this year's group from a size and development standpoint. And I think a huge part of that goes to the awesome work that, you know, Benny Wiley and his staff has done with them over the course of the off season. And, you know, it it was fun hearing kind of, you know, Tibbs echo what Grinch was saying a, a week or two ago when talking about, you know, Alex Grinch's sentiment about rotating six or seven guys on both the interior and the exterior. The fact that, You know, that's something that OU hasn't had in past years. You know, for the better part, over a decade, that's, you know, quality depth has been something that we've been lacking, you know, in the defensive line room. So having three rotations of players that you can throw out there that aren't just going to give the starters a break, but they have the ability to make plays as well, now you're starting to see Oklahoma's defensive line group look like the ones we've run up against in the past few years in the college football playoff, the Clemsons, the Georgias, Alabama LSU. OU's got the personnel in my opinion, to be one of the best defensive lines in the country, just like you said, Corbin. Now they've just got to prove it on Saturdays. And after what we've heard, you know, over the last week or two, I just don't see how anybody in the Big Twelve is going to be able to block this group for four quarters. With with the talent and the depth that they have, being able to rotate fresh bodies in there, it's going to be a very good year for the OU defense.
1: You know, maybe more than anything, what I'm excited about game day especially on the defensive line front is on third downs and the Halloween theme song. Come on. Mm. Uh, I mean, come on now. Like, <laughs> no. Make I got it. Happen, Mike. I got a, got a tweet from, uh, our old guy drew in the marking part. He said, it's a done deal. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, that'll be, uh, I'm just getting chills thinking about it. that will be pretty cool. Yeah.
0: I'm really looking forward to seeing some big third and long plays where the defensive line can just pin their ears back and go for it. Yep.
2: Adam, I did have a question and kind of starting with you. You know, one of the things that we've seen from Lincoln's offenses over the past couple seasons is it starts out really, really good, but then there's almost a lull midway through the game in the second and the third quarter. And, you know, some people attribute that to, you know, we don't want to we don't want to score so many points so fast because we don't trust the defense to go out there and get stops and we don't want to get into a track meet. So do you think that this could be the year with the defense being as talented and as deep as they are? Do you think Lincoln almost kind of takes the approach where we're going to keep our foot on the gas from the first whistle all the way to the last whistle because we trust our defense being able to go out there, you know, being able to rotate 25 to 30 players in there on the defensive side of the football, and we're never going to put our offense in a situation where we feel like we've got to slow things up or kind of get out of our rhythm.
0: That's what the fans would like Lincoln to do, but Lincoln does not think like the fans um so i don't expect him to be any different i think he's more focused on winning and i think he sees you know anytime he can help out his defense even if his defense is really good still helping them out and you know burning time off the clock and just kind of running it out so to speak not a big fan of that um we've seen that come back to bite us in the past but um we'll see we'll see i mean this is his first opportunity to really have incredible confidence in his defense going forward
1: I think he has more depth in the defense this year than he did last year. Um, there was depth there last year, but it was very young. And while it certainly still is young, there's more guys that this is now the second and third year in the defense rather than their first year coming off a of COVID offseason. So I think you should see a little bit more from the offense this year in comparison to last. But take the Texas game for an example. Last season – they they dominating the whole game and all of a sudden those play counts start to creep up, up and up and up and up. And no defense can withstand that. Um, So I think there needs probably to be a a balance there. Maybe not quite as um, easy, you know, on the offensive side of the ball is what we saw last year. Right. There were some times where it was like, okay, like do something right. Like poke with the stick, see if it moves. Um, But I think, uh, you know, full, Score as many points as possible, like the the Baker and Kyler days. I just don't see that happening.
2: Well, I just hope that going into this season, we've reached a point where you know, if we're up twenty-one nothing, if we're up seventeen to three, we've seen it time and time again where the offense stalls and we give teams the opportunity to climb back into a game. That way, you know, once fourth quarter, we look up and we're in a dogfight trying to hang on. So, um, having that killer instinct when you've got a two, three touchdown lead, being able to deliver that, you know, that knockout punch, um, is something that I hope this team can do and. Um, I, I think that they're going to have the depth on the uh, on the defense defensive side of the football uh, to make that happen. Hopefully, so.
0: Yeah, one of those guys that has played a lot of snaps um, and has a lot of experience, but waited until the tenth game of his junior year to get his first interception is Pat Fields, um, and I don't mean to dogpile on him, but come on, man, you're you're a safety that's played a lot and you didn't get an interception until the very end of your junior year. Uh, we've seen that he's been getting a lot of first team reps. Tyler, you are, um, you know, probably bursting at the seams to say something here. I mean, what's your feelings on this, and what do you, who do you think it should be, if not
2: Pat Fields? Six days in or six practices in fall camp. No, I'm not surprised by it. I mean, you're talking about a guy. He's a two year starter. He's, I think Grinch said he's played over 1,400 snaps in this speed D defensive scheme. So for me, I think it's it's all about you know trusting which players are going to be able to understand Grinch's scheme well enough that you know, primarily they're not making those mental mistakes. And I think that's the biggest advantage that Pat Fields has right now. And, you know, he knows where he's got to be on each and every play. He's fundamentally sound. And, you know, more important than not, Grinch trusts Pat Fields' play in and play out. Now, if you can get a bigger, more athletic guy like a Key Lawrence up to speed on this game and you can trust him to go out there and execute, not make mistakes, not have mental lapses out in coverage, then you've got to put him out there in your starting 11 because – and, again, you guys will poke fun of me. It's a bigger frame, more physical guy at the safety position, something that OU hasn't had in the back end of that defense in quite some time. You've got to get your best athletes on the field. And if, he's, if Key Lawrence is primed and ready to go, I hope that you would at least see him by Texas, you know, getting a huge bulk of those snaps at the safety spot.
1: It's pretty proven by now, especially in the safety position, when you think of DTY and Patrick Fields. Grinch loves the stability. Exactly. Of those two back there, right? Like more than any other position, the safeties can't make mistakes. And as big as you are, as fast as you are, as girthy as you are, uh, there it is. Yep. There it is. Drink. You, you, <laughs> you can't, you can't make mistakes back there. And obviously none of us are at practice to see that every single day. Um, so until something drastically changes, I don't think there's any reason to think even past Texas that you'll see anybody else in a starting role out there besides Pat Fields and Delarian Turner. Turner Yo, I just don't see it guys.
0: I guess really it's just key Lawrence price in Washington I mean, that's really your backups there. It's still a little bit thin at the safety position. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, ideally we'd like to have maybe some other guys like Justin Harrington or Billy Bowman or mm-hmm. um, there's several guys that we could look at that, that could move from other positions back to the safety role. But uh, Pat Fields is, is kind of interesting. Um, and, you know, we talked about Eric Swenson not getting mentioned. He seems to be a coach's favorite. Pat Fields is the same way. He's touted as, you know, an incredible person, great representative of the university, Um, he's on LinkedIn, he's doing like really professional stuff. Like he's actually going (laughs) to, he's going to have like some really incredible opportunities for him, um, because he's just a well-rounded, well-put-together individual. And I think the coaches know that they see that. I mean, he was a team captain. They see his leadership, you know, every day that we don't get to see. So they view him in a little bit different light than we do as fans. It's not just his play on the field. So they're going to give him every opportunity to, to seize that job. Um, probably more so than any other player.
2: And I don't want this to come across as though like I'm you know downgrading or you know shitting on Pat Fields. That's not what we're doing. All all I'm basically trying to get my point across is that with the goals that OU has this year, trying to win an eighth national championship, Pat Fields is good enough to win you a Big Twelve championship at the safety position. But once you get into the playoffs, you go up against an Ohio State where you've got to cover guys like Garrett Wilson, Chris Alave. I love Pat Fields to death, but a 5'10", 5'11", corner that's not as good of an athlete as what we've also got kind of behind him, I don't trust him in that situation to cover and make those plays consistently enough for OU to win a national championship and win a, or win a playoff game for that matter. And I think we yeah. kind of saw that in the LSU game with Justin Broyles um, getting torched You know, whenever DTY wasn't able to play.
1: Yeah, well, I think the good news is, is those safeties are all going to get their shot. Right. Like, I don't think Pat's out there taking 100% of the snaps. I think we're past that. So, you know, I, I think there's at least going to be an opportunity. Why I don't necessarily see anybody taking Pat Field's spot. I think there will definitely be an opportunity if it's there for somebody to come and replace him on a game to game basis if that's what's needed. Yep. Yep. I think the uh, the last
0: really concern on this team is the wide re- wide receiver position and uh, oh Tyler you got a little drool on yourself there I think you've been watching some wide receiver videos again <laughs> getting real excited um, so I, I, I think every time when I you know those clips come out the videos the highlight reels that are just so exciting i I picture Charlie from uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia with his conspiracy board of you know because there's there's guys out there that like to look and get every little detail you know who's running with who 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 is covering that receiver on that one-handed catch you know this you know true freshman's going to be an all-american blitnikoff winner like we draw all sorts of crazy conclusions uh from that but I, I know tyler you've mentioned it several times it's like you're you're really pumped for what
2: the wide receivers could be well, when you're as closed off as the media and some of the fan bases and you don't have as much access to the program, like some of these other schools do. Yeah. You kind of have to, you do what you have to do. You have to pick up, you know, certain tidbits and stuff and, you know, pick certain uh, things from those videos apart, but no, uh, the wide receiver position, just like what we talked about with the offensive line, that was kind of the number two category, the number two position group that uh, that fans were a little bit concerned about in terms of is that group good enough to win a national championship. And, Uh, this is a group that's been called out on multiple occasions by Lincoln Riley going back all the way to the, you know, basically the start of the off season. And you can definitely tell in what we've heard in interviews from these receivers, that this is a group that's got a huge chip on their shoulder going into this season. And just hearing it, not from the receivers, but from a guy that covers them each and every day at practice, DJ Graham, he made the statement yesterday saying, I expect this group to finish the season with at least two 1000 yard receivers. Do I expect this to happen? I don't know. There's so much talent across the board with this group. When you look at Mims, Weiss, Woods, Hazelwood, Stoops, who's, I guess Stoops is Moss and DTY in practice. So, um, and we haven't even mentioned Mario Williams. And guys, if if Hazelwood and Weiss are back to being 100% healthy, it's not out of the realm of possibility we could see 2,000-yard receivers in this group. And, you know, guys, if we do finish the year with two guys doing that, it's probably a safe bet saying this will be one of the top offenses, if not the number one offense in college football.
1: Yeah, I'm not as quite as I'm not quite there yet. Um, I'm not there yet,
2: but I'm saying that there's yeah. a lot of potential in the. There's a lot of opportunity there.
1: Yeah, we've been saying that for what the past two years, and really the only guy that's done it has been CD. So but you also had Jalen Hurts as the
2: quarterback, where it was see if CD's open. Nope, take off running.
1: Uh, And even with it, when he was open, he didn't necessarily throw it to him. So, uh, you know, (laughs) there it is. Let's call it, let's call it what it is. Uh, We've never questioned the potential of this group. None of us are doing that. None of us have done that. But as far as what takes place, I mean, guys, what outside of the, the Baylor game, you know, would, would Jalen Hurts outside of, I mean, I think he, Theo had a pretty good uh, OU Texas game. Like there's been moments for those guys, but like, God, we gotta, we gotta have it. It's got to be more than just potential and, and fingers crossed, hoping it turns around. But guess, yeah, just kind of a weird question for you is is Drake Stoops the Pat Fields of the offense? Put no. some damn respect on Drake Stoops' think think name. Think about Robin. it. Think think about it. Here, he's he's not going to be a guy that like outruns you. He's not going to be the guy that really like jumps up and out catches you. He's a solid player that has an important role in the offense. But if you found a slot guy that maybe maybe was a little bigger, a little faster, a little more athletic, like you'd probably be wanting that guy to play. So I just the but correlation he, is at least there. I don't mm-hmm. think
0: Stoops is getting playing time, uh, you know, at the behest of some other player that could be better there. I mean, he's right. he's playing, you know, quite a few snaps each game, but not all of them, and blocking someone else from developing there.
2: And while he not he's not as talented or he's not as athletic as some of the other receivers that are in his position group. I feel like I know what I'm getting from Drake Stoops. You can trust him. Like what you said, Corbin with Pat Fields, you know, he's reliable. You know, he, he made some big time catches last year in some key moments, um, starting with that, you know, game winning catch against Texas. So um, I would hope that OU's receiving core is at the point to where you don't have to trot Drake Stoops out for 40, 50 snaps a game and have him run run 10 miles pre-snap like he did last year in every single game. But Uh, No, I I don't think he's a liability whatsoever. I think he, you know, provides some some added value, and you know, he's kind of like a Wes Welker in this offense. You know, especially on the
1: third and shorts. Definitely not calling him a liability, and I wouldn't call Pat Fields a liability. I'm just, I think they're both solid players. But if if Stoops wasn't on the back of his jersey, would we be so gung ho about him? I'm just just curious
0: not nearly as much but i mean he's at least done some things like he caught the game winner against texas he he caught uh, i think a pair against k state last mm-hmm. year for mm-hmm. touchdowns mm-hmm. it's easy to forget that cuz we want to block that game out of our our memories but um he has done some solid things i he had some moments where i thought maybe he was going to be like the third down go to guy never really developed there completely but i think he he could do more of that and we'll certainly need more of that um you know stogner was a guy that really did that. Weiss at times was a guy who did that, but I think if you look at this receiver group as a whole, uh, really, I'm just looking at it and going, do we have depth? Because I think there's enough talent. Like, like you mentioned, Corbin, we have never doubted the potential here. Uh, you know, Marvin Mims, I think he's a proven guy. I think he'll only continue to get better. I think Stogner has proven enough in the short time that he's been on the field, and then you know, just recently Trayvon West is back with the team, another depth piece of freshman. Uh, last year they actually played in eight games so um i'm i'm hopeful um i i just you know one of these guys needs to step up and prove it uh weese hazelwood whoever it doesn't matter just someone needs to step up and actually do it <laughs> maybe there's an
2: opportunity for mike woods to come yep. in and make an impact yeah for sure
1: who, who's the speed guy in this group to you guys
0: mario Williams,
1: mario, mario. And, and mims you would consider mims a speed guy well i mean he caught a ton of deep passes so yeah. It's basically I mean, all he did last year. Yeah, so yeah.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I don't care how he gets that. I mean, he doesn't have to be a speed guy. He could be just out jumping people. That's really what you need there is to stretch the defense.
2: And I think that's where if you have a, a healthy Hazelwood and a healthy Weiss and they can live up to the expectations and you know perform at that high level of play that you know we expect from them, I don't see how you're going to be able to double team any one of these receivers or bracket, uh, put a safety over the top. So. If this offensive line plays really well and they give Rattler time, uh, it's it's going to be you know p- you know pick your poison on who you want to get the ball to and you know go down the field and and score. But it's it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah, for sure. How, how crazy
2: is it that we have more uh, more concerns and and question marks about offense
1: than we do defense? And I don't even think it's a little more concern. I think the majority of the concern is on the offensive side of the ball, which is crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we. Uh... We'll dive into this a little bit more later in the pod. We'll do some over-unders on some of these, but um, it's good to just be talking uh, football and, uh, and actual games. And uh, Corbin, you mentioned you're actually coming down for one of the games. I know that's going to be a, a big one for you. So uh,
1: I know you have a few thoughts on some different things here. So introduce us to what you got. Yeah, wanted to get your thoughts. I think this will be a really interesting segment. And have This is meant to have zero seriousness whatsoever. So yeah, heading to Norman for the first time, bring in uh, my, my girlfriend, First OU game nice. she's been. Nice, right? Nice. Uh, she's an FSU grad around when Jimbo was down there, so she's at least used to a big time winning program. Even though you know Florida State has, you know, um, not quite been the same, to put it lightly, uh, oh, sh- since, since those years. But Chicken I was head. curious to kind of get both of your thoughts, whether we're talking about tailgating, <clears throat> OU atmosphere, OU history, campus life, nightlife fun facts, whatever it is. I really want to leave it up to you guys. But I'm curious to get your thoughts. Okay, if, if I'm bringing her to town for the first time, what are three, four five things that she needs to know heading into Norman for the first time? Yeah, so I went through the source <laughs> on this one
0: because okay. uh, last year I brought my fiance to her first game ever. So I asked her this exact nice. question. Nice. Um, and uh, she gave me a few different things. Um, really, it was her first introduction to you know big time college football. So the first thing she mentioned was there are a lot of TV timeouts. So this is not going to be new to an FSU fan. <laughs> but I, I like that answer so much because it is a complaint that all of us have. And
2: I
1: like
0: especially it. at OU, it's like and last year, I think it was even more. Uh, focused on that because you weren't around the people you just sat down and you're like man we're all by ourselves there's nothing going on in the field but there's always the exact same rotation we're guessing you know the heisman trophy shuffle game we're doing the the kick in for chicken we're honoring the patriot we are honoring the people that flew over the field we're uh looking at you know probably the gymnastics team that won another championship like the song of the game like those are your same commercial break activities, and then Chris Plank has two, you know, highlights. Those are actually interesting. But like that's, I just named everything that we do during TV timeouts. It's exactly the same every game. It's been that way for who knows how long, and it hasn't changed. It is incredibly boring. We need to find a way to work that out of TV in general.
2: Uh, but also, like Drew, Drew, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's think of something new to do. Like it's. It's just
1: so boring, uh, and they're getting longer. Like the TV timeouts seemingly are getting longer. Okay. I just hope we get there in time for the student uh, Coke Zero pregame. Uh, that's oh. really it. <laughs> oh, that was every marketing intern's
2: dream. We'll see. Get put on the via, the the pregame for for the student <laughs> section. God, uh, I, I took a little bit of a different approach, Adam. I got a few dues that uh, Kristen. Whenever she makes the first trip down to Norman, first and foremost, Corbin. You got to tell the girlfriend with it being an eleven AM kickoff. Start spending the next couple of Saturdays practicing, waking up at six or seven AM. Let's let's let let's uh, not let that be a shock once uh, once game day gets here. Number one, and then number two for me, coming into town on a Wednesday, you've got to take advantage of happy hour at the Mont. You can't come to Norman and leave Norman saying that you haven't been to the Mont. So take her on a Friday night swirls, queso, cheese fries should be a fun atmosphere. Number three for me you got to grab a beer before the game and walk down campus corner. Yeah, it's a little different, probably not the same type of pregame atmosphere as what she was used to at Florida State, but that's an OU tradition. you got to take in a little bit of campus corner. Number four, this is where the old ticket office side of me comes into play. (laughs) Have your tickets downloaded and added to your Apple wallet to avoid Mm, the headache of having to stand in the resolution line at the ticket office. We love Andy, we love Schaefer, all those guys. It's a headache anytime somebody has to... Uh, stand in line at the ticket resolution so next one for me Kristen. be in your seat one hour before kickoff watch the players go through warm-ups crazy train i wish they would move on to a new song <laughs> adam there you go OU band plays the schooner comes out take in all of that and then last but not least if it's possible and corbin you might be able to put her in touch with w- with this guy you've got to grab a selfie with Doc B before you leave. So take advantage of that. And my last don't do not go to fan fest. There's only so many hours in the day prior to prior to kickoff, especially with it being an early morning one. Don't go to fan fest, spend your time elsewhere. And I think you'll have a really good time. Here's a, here's
0: another do for you. And I don't think that you'll hopefully you're not sitting in this area, but if you are in the North end zone and a field goal is kicked by the opposing team, (laughs) do, I guess, do not throw that football back towards the field. Get that sucker back up over the wall because nice. it's just like in baseball. If a team hits you know, a home run in your ballpark, you toss it right back. You don't want it. Uh, same thing with kicking kick field goals. That's one thing
2: my fiance mentioned that I don't know if she well she's that was
0: interesting or liked it or not. I hope she liked it. But Well, Adam,
2: she's probably pretty used to field goals being a Michigan State fan. <laughs> you know, that was another thing
0: that she didn't mention to me, but um, I know it was interesting because she came to the K-State game last year where we mm. lost, and uh, I think she mentioned to me, she's like, wow, you're really taking this well, and I was like, you know, I'm I'm just more shocked and disappointed than yeah. anything, um, well, the, whereas, yeah. you know, when you're a Detroit Lions fan, it's kind of like you're, you don't like it, but you see a lot more losses, so yeah. You know, it's just different uh, when a loss happens to you. Like there's there, you go through every stage. You know, mm-hmm. denial, and yeah. finally get down to acceptance, and just fire yeah. Mike Stoops. Yeah, you know?
2: kind of have a a general rule when it comes to a significant other. I need at least eighteen to twenty four hours after the fact to to kind of regroup, get over it, and and go from there. So I'm not if I'm in a bad mood, it's not because of you. I, we take those losses to heart just because we're not used to them. So it stings a little bit more when it actually happens. So
1: Yeah, we've we've gotten to the point now where we know orange is bad, just in any way, shape, or form. That's <laughs> the first one you gotta check off the list. Um I think next step is explaining that it's always OU Texas, not Texas OU. That's nice. just, you know, gotta get that out of the way early. Uh the good news is we're not coming back for Bedlam, so if we do sit in the north end zone and try to throw a ball over, we will not be getting in any fights with opposing team ball boys. Uh, So, you know, we are we're on the right track. Right. So, um, so yeah, you know, hopefully we get some, uh, some nice little, you know, access to the field after the game, if they're even doing that, uh, you know, with the old connections and it should be a good time. Corbin, I don't know where you're going to be sitting yet, but have you kind of warned her or at least kind of
2: enlightened her on some of the things that she might hear from surrounding fans in her section
1: it, it see that all the sections are different. You you guys know this just as well as I do. If we're sitting by chance on the west side, we just need to be prepared to sit down when everybody else sits down, and we're going to get yelled at. I think if we're in some other parts of the stadium, we may get away with that. You know, a little bit more. I think north end zone is actually pretty rowdy with standing people. When a few times I've sat there, uh, so we'll have to kind of see where we uh, we we get seats and, and kind of go from there. Yeah.
0: I'm looking forward to, to hearing the report after this
1: game see how yeah. it goes. We'll have to throw on the pod and yeah. be like, yeah. what, what did you learn? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Adam, what you put together for this last thing here?
0: Yeah. Uh, we're getting close to season, so it's time to do some more predictions. So we're going to do some over-unders here. I'm going to throw some uh, – some- Questions out to you guys just to see where you stand. And one of the big ones that really stuck out, and uh, this is a podcast that we did even before Corbin joined us. So it's been a long time, but we looked at Spencer Rattler's stats and uh, his 2020 stats. Basically, when you um, extrapolated that out for a 12-game schedule uh, versus what we played last year, which was 11 games, he basically had the same stat line as Baker Mayfield's 2015 season. Mm -hmm. So if we're expecting Rattler to take the next step, I went back and I pulled Baker Mayfield's 2016 season, which some so good. So good. some even argue that that might be Baker's best year. Um, I don't know. It's not the debate at this point. But um, I want to see where you guys are taking the over or under on Baker Mayfield's 2016 stat line. So we'll go with passing yards first. Uh, Baker Mayfield had 3,965 yards in 2016. Uh, Radler, for reference last year, had 3,031 across 11 games. Are you taking the over or the under there?
2: I'm going to take the under. I think it's going to be very, very close to that 39-65 number that Baker put up, but I also think that, one, the offensive line is going to be a lot better than it was last year, and I think our running game is going to be a lot more productive. Obviously, we really didn't see the running game take off until Ramondre got uh, got back for the last three or four games of the year. So I think having an Eric Gray, Kenny Brooks return to the full, Trey Bradford, I think you're going to see a predominantly heavily focused running game from, from Lincoln, especially early in the season. So I'm going to take the under on that.
1: Yeah, I can see it going either way, because um, I think the the schedule in twenty sixteen was probably a little tougher than what what our schedule is heading into this year. Just at first glance, but I also don't think Spencer is going to have a Heisman candidate wide receiver to to throw to all season long. So I'm going to take the under as well. I just I just think overall that offense, based on what we know now, is is just a little bit better than what Spencer's going to be walking into this year. Yeah,
0: I think you could look at it that way. You could also look at it and go, hey, he doesn't have Samache Piran and Joe Mixon to hand it off right. to. Every, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're high on Eric Gray, Kennedy Brooks, but that might not pan out the way we want it. So you could go either way there. Um, if we're looking at touchdowns, Baker had 40 in 2016. Radler had 28 last year. Would you go over or under there?
2: For, or was under. it 40, 40 total touchdowns or 40 passing? 40 passing. Under uh, – Yeah, I'm going to go under because, I mean, he had 28 last year, sure, in one less game, but he also had nine touchdowns that were dropped, and that still only gets you to 37. So much like the passing yards, I think he'll get close, but I don't think he surpasses 40. I think you could be looking at like you know 38 touchdowns, maybe four or five interceptions. So I'll take the under.
1: And it's something we discussed earlier in the pod. I don't think this offense is going to be playing the same as it did. Um, You know, in those seasons, it's got a better defense. You can rest on that a little bit. means the offense – We'd still love for them to go up and down the field every single drive. Like, you just don't have to. And so, something to consider there as well.
2: And I also don't think Spencer is going to have to play as much as Baker did for most of the year. I think with the schedule and with how dominant our defense should be, I think you might be looking at a lot of Caleb Williams fourth-quarters type type games. So, Tyler, you kind of
0: answered the next one which was interceptions baker had eight in 2016 spencer had seven last year so you're going under on that one
2: under yep
1: yep under
0: all right so it's interesting Um, less mistakes is what we're expecting from him but not nearly as big of a step in production so um, that's really interesting from uh, but from more of a team perspective uh, last year we saw the offense averaged 43 points a game. I was a little surprised when I saw that because it seems it seems high. Um, are you taking the over or under on this one going into 2021?
2: That's that's easy for me. Again, I'm going over. What
1: would you say it was, 45? 43. Yeah, but not by much. I think that's probably going to be pretty close. Yeah. I think having
0: multiple non-conference games probably helps this statistic quite a mm-hmm. bit. Um, and just not only playing those teams, but getting rolling for Big 12 play. So I think that could help there. Now, on the opposite side of the ball, defense gave up 21.7 points per game. Are you take an over or under on that?
2: I, th- I think it's going to be right around there, maybe a couple points under. If, if our defense holds opponents to less than 20 points a game, we shouldn't lose a game all season. So yeah. I, I'm going to take the under on that as well. A lot of unders club. I don't like being part of the unders yeah, take, club.
1: Take the over, but just by a tad. I can see it kind of being in that 22, 24 range. Like, still really, really solid. But under, that's really tough in today's college football. But the Big 12 is not as explosive as it used to be. It could absolutely be under under that number.
2: You expecting Spencer Sanders put 50 up on him? At least 45. He's 45. Lord, I will never, I will never live that down. I won't even show up for the next episode. If that happens. If the ninth quarterback in the big 12 puts up
0: 50, I'll know you. Uh, no, no. Um. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm with Corbin on this one. Just barely over. I mean, 21.7 is a great number. So that's going to be hard to top. Going um, back to offense here, yards per play, uh, seven and a half. Are we taking over or under on this one? And uh, for reference, seven yards was the average in two thousand twenty. Eight yards was the average in two thousand nineteen.
2: Over.
1: Yeah, over. I bet it gets back into that eight range. Mm-hmm. I think the offensive line will be better, and I think that'll that'll open things up quite a bit. Yeah, and you've got
2: ten yards of carry and Kennedy Brooks back too. So that's uh, that, that'll raise the average so I, I think it'll probably be like 8.1 8.2 so 100
0: percent agree so that goes. next one there uh, Kennedy Brooks or Eric gray averaging more yards per carry than what Ramondre did in 2020 which the number there is 6.6 yards per carry not not per
1: touch correct not
2: so, per carry yep okay so you can't take reception so that kind of hinders gray a little bit said so 6.2 6.6.
1: God, that point four does make a difference. Yes,
2: it honestly kind of does.
1: I would say Kennedy probably is over and I would i bet Gray's right around that number, but probably a little bit under, I bet he's I'm, like right around six.
2: I'm going the other way. I think Kennedy will be less than that. And I think Gray will be more because I, I think you'll see probably three to four really long runs from Gray. Like just seeing some of the highlights that we've seen from Tennessee, he does have that breakaway speed and don't forget Trey Bradford too. You know, there's there's rumors that he's one of the you know top three or four fastest guys on the team. And um, I'll, I'll go over for that.
1: But we've heard that about Kennedy Brooks for like every single year. He's not the fast, flashy guy, but like he just Damn. what Lincoln call him. He's just like a golden re- doodle, golden retriever out for a yeah. stroll. Like he just glides. He just it doesn't collides. look
2: like he's moving very fast, but you know, ten yards a carry, I'll take it every time.
0: Yep. I'll feel a lot more confident if the offensive line can come out and play. So um, next up here, special teams, touchdowns. I don't believe we got any last year. We did get a blocked punt against Texas, but I don't think that resulted in a touchdown. Um, so I'm going with uh, 1.5. You're taking over or under.
1: And That's this so is, hard to say this, we have no idea who's returning kicks, right?
0: I mean, the thought is Marvin Mims for punts and kickoffs might be Billy Bowman. But that's just speculation,
2: really. Going over, I'm gonna nope. take the. I'll take the over on that. So that that could be kickoffs, punt returns, blocked punts, blocked fake punts.
1: Puns. We lost our. We lost Beamer though, so that's got to be taken into account. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's. I mean, that's that's true. I'm still gonna take the over though, especially I having a couple extra games this year. I, I bet we get two. I'll
1: take the over as well. Yeah.
0: I'm going on that one. I have just seen Lincoln Riley so many times, not even run, uh, you know, his defenders back to block, just take a fair catch, which drives me crazy because what if he drops the ball? You don't I have understand. anybody there to, to jump on it. So I I just don't think that we'll actually try to return too many punts. Um, so uh, next up, Jeremiah Hall, a guy that has been talked up a lot this offseason, the bullfrog. Uh, he scored five receiving touchdowns in
1: 2020.
0: Across eleven games, um, but we've heard that he's going to be more involved. He's going to have more responsibilities. I'm um, putting the over under at six and a half touchdowns for Jeremiah Hall this year.
2: How many did he have last year? You broke up on me. Five. Five. Not having Mikey Henderson, but then also too, you're going to have a you're going to have a healthy Austin Sogner and Braden Willis to start the year out. So. If he if Lincoln utilizes him like he did Dimitri Flowers in his last year back in 2017, I could see it getting over that. But seven to take the over, that's a lot of touchdowns. So uh I'm gonna t I'll take the under, but I still think he's gonna have a hell of a season.
1: What were uh what were
0: Dimitri's stats? Um You know, people are starting to talk about Jeremiah Hall uh, in the same vein as Dimitri Flowers, and I'm really not there yet. Um, Jeremiah Hall seems to be a guy that is kind of more like a gadget player that you throw in in certain situations and does some things. And uh, in fact, one of the touchdowns he got was off the uh, trick play against Oklahoma State. So, whereas Dimitri was more of like, it, he just beats you, straight up beats you um, as a better player, it seems like.
1: For Dimitri's entire career, how many how many touchdowns do you think he had? 13.
2: Yeah, probably
1: something
0: Adam? around there, ten, 10 or so. Four?
1: Four. According according to Soonersports.com, touchdowns. Wow. He had zero in 2014, 15, or 16. I can probably
2: name them. He had one at Ohio 20. State, one against uh-huh. OSU. He had one against um, Baylor. One against Baylor and one against Oklahoma State. So that'd be it, right? Well, you said OSU twice. Well, he had one against Ohio State in 2017. Uh-huh. Bedlam, when had, he, Bedlam when he fell down. Yep. And then he had one against Baylor, right? He had yeah. a flea flicker he caught against Iowa State in 2015. That's the one yes. I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay, and then the last one. So not Baylor. It would the fourth one would have been against Oklahoma State on the trick play. That was Jeremiah Hall last year. But wow, I, I, I would have lost money on that. I thought it was way more than four.
1: <laughs> just keep just that in mind alone. Yeah, I got to go under on <laughs> Jeremiah Hall yeah. then getting yeah. above six touchdowns. Yeah, I got to try to take the under there. Cool.
0: I'm with you on that. Next up, a guy that's been hyped a lot and it keeps rising, Danny Stutzman. How many tackles does he get this year? I'm putting the over-under at 11.5. And And to put some reference in there, Shane Witter, kind of a similar type of guy that people were high on last year. He had nine last year.
2: Under? There's too many. I think there's too many people in front of him. There's too much depth. I think he will get a lot of playing time, but I mean there's there's five or six guys ahead of him on the depth chart. So I hope I'm wrong. I hope it is the over. But then also, I, do we want it to be over, though? Because I really I, don't
1: want him to have to play much. Well, the hope there is that he's playing a lot late, right? And the games yeah. are well in hand. So I'll probably take the under. But, you know, if this team is who we think they are, then I can absolutely see him going over. And he's got, you know, multiple entire quarters to go out and, and play. So <clears throat> we'll see. That's a good number, Adam.
2: I think uh, mm-hmm.
0: it will hinge on whether he's on special teams and how many teams he's on there, but I will take the under. Yeah, um, next one, Perrion Winfrey, three and a half sacks. Over. He had
2: 0. .5 sacks last year. Mm-hmm. He'll have over... He'll, bold prediction. He'll have over three and a half by Texas. Wow.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, golly, dude. You just... I, I mean, there's, there's no way, so bad, right? If, but that's just... For uh, that's just that's hard because that position, D tackle, just they just don't do what they used to do. Like he's not, you know, everything comes off the edge now. But so also, I do, go ahead. I was
2: just saying but also at the same time too. If you've got Benito coming off one side and Isaiah Thomas, the quarterback's going to get pushed up into the middle. So kind of like what Tibbs was saying, he might get a lot of cheap sacks. So
1: well, you got to think in in, a, in Iowa State alone in the Big Twelve Championship, if he doesn't jump at Brock Purdy's <laughs> pump fakes. He's got two in that game alone, including a safety. So, yeah, I'm going to take the over, but I'm not too confident about it.
2: Tulane, Western Carolina, Nebraska, West Virginia, and K-State. Surely he can get more than three and a half in those first five games.
0: I I think he will split a lot of snaps in those games, so I don't think he'll have the opportunities yeah. there. And I think he's the guy that's going to get double teamed on pretty much every play. So, he'll be creating sacks for a lot of other guys. So I'm taking the under and I'm setting myself up to not be disappointed when he's uh, a little bit slow on hitting that. So um, next up games decided by one score or less putting the over
2: under at three and a half games decided by less than one score. So less than seven points, one score or less. So eight, eight points, but one possession, eight points or less three and a half.
0: Yep. So you're looking at probably Iowa State, probably Texas, maybe OSU. Uh, I guess Nebraska is the big non-conference, but I don't know if anyone really expects that to be a one-possession game. At Baylor, at K State, TCU oh, yeah. at home. Yeah, there's there's plenty of options. I I'm bet going. it's what what's the
1: ne- what's the number three and a half. I bet it's right at three. I'm going to take that under.
2: I'm going under i i agree well uh two more here can you can you name the three that you think it'll be stay tuned
0: i'll tell you on december 5th uh um last two here national award winners uh very difficult i mean i'm we're looking at heisman's uh, nagursky's groza whatever it might be um 0.5 so basically do we have a national award winner at all
1: you would think so but that is hard yeah I'll take the over just out of pure confidence that whether it's Spencer or whether it's somebody on that defensive side of the ball can finally win an award. Going to be hard though.
2: You got to think Heisman might be the easiest. I was going to say it's (laughs) it's how confident are you that Spencer's going to win the Heisman? I'll I don't feel good about it, but I'll take the over for the same reason as you, Corbin. Surely we've got to figure out a way to get one. If we go twelve and zero and we're in the playoff, we win a Big Twelve championship. We're going to win at least one of them.
1: And with the national media changing their tone on the OU defense, if they go out and play well, that helps. So and, something to keep in mind there for and sure.
2: Typically outside of the Heisman Trophy, a lot of SEC players take home yeah. those awards. So might be a little correlation there. This could be the start of that.
1: Yeah, our we'll conference. shines bright.
2: I like the <laughs> conference. I love the confidence. It just means more.
0: So. Yeah. Uh, last one here, uh, the typical playoff foes, the usual suspects, Ohio State, Bama, Clemson, UGA. So those four teams, how many of those do we see in the playoffs? I'm putting the over-under at two and a half out of
1: those four teams. Over. Over. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are going to be the other. Uh, at least three of those are in. For
2: OSU, sure. OSU's in. Clemson's in. Either Bama or Georgia is going to be in. So –
0: So you think that OU goes in, even if we're the number one seed, we're still playing
2: one of these heavyweights at the floor. absolutely. Yeah. Adam, is there really any other team out there that kind of gives you cause for concern as far as not being so confident in these four teams being in it?
0: Oregon is interesting to me. I don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be, but could they take advantage of playing Ohio State early in the year to get a really high-quality win? Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe um Clemson is one that's interesting too. Uh, you know, Clemson and Georgia are interesting because they do play at the beginning of the year, and one mm-hmm. of them is going to be put, you know, on the edge right there with a loss. Mm-hmm.
1: So, what does that? You do like? have to say Texas A and M. Yeah, I mean, A and M could be a newcomer. Yeah, if they can if they can beat Bam at home. It's game on for them. Wisconsin I, is one that interests me a lot too. I liked. You know, the
0: few times that we saw Graham Mertz last year, he looked like he could be a difference maker that they haven't had at that position uh, for Wisconsin. So maybe we could see someone like that that's a little bit newer. Maybe Iowa State sneaks in as a second Big 12 team. But, yeah, I think you guys
2: are, are right. It's going to be really tough for someone new to, to show up here. What do, you, what do you guys think is the second toughest league going into this season outside of the SEC? The independents. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's got to be the Big Ten, just because depth of number of teams and number of of
1: you know talent that they have there. I think you could make an argument for literally Big Ten, ACC, or honestly the Big Twelve as the second toughest conference. Um, See, I'm I not had, I had to rank them. It's it's probably Big Ten, ACC, Big Twelve.
2: You you value the ACC? You think it's a tougher league this year
1: than the Big Twelve? For simply the fact that it holds Clemson. Notre Dame, who I know hasn't gotten over the hump, but like consistently solid program, and I think they've got that third. But Notre team Dame's not in the conference here. this year. Are they going backwards? They're
0: going They're backwards.
2: Going back- They're independent, yeah, for the that, year. That's yeah. why I was that. If you did factor them in, then yes, I would say definitely ACC. But I mean, the Big Twelve, OU, Iowa State, then you would probably have to feel somewhat confident that between Texas, OSU, and TCU those five right there probably stack up pretty well against the the top five from the big ten and the ACC at
1: yeah, least the without, ACC without Notre Dame yeah I would put the big 12. I don't know why I thought they were still in it they just should be honestly that made so much sense the way they did it last year.
2: Adam is Michigan State a top five program in the in the big Ten this year I don't think so unless they
0: can figure out the quarterback position'. But I like that you know they started some other guys later in the year, so we'll go into a uh, a more deep dive on Michigan State next week. Uh, We'll probably have a dedicated pod just for that. Don't edit that out. I'm not (laughs) editing any of that out. So um, I think that's a good good spot to wrap things up. So we appreciate everyone listening. Definitely go find us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod One, and of course, if you made it this far, uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. So. We will be back again next week. We'll have a whole lot more to discuss about OU football and everything that's going on in the Sooners